0: Well, good morning to you, glad you're here today, Uh, glad to be with you on this very pleasant Father's Day. Um, If nothing else is pleasant, at least the weather is, I guess, huh? So uh, glad you're all here, glad to see you. And today I will be preaching the last message in our series on Deuteronomy, wow, well, Nobody applauded, so that's good, Uh, (laughs) but let's turn there together, the very end of the book of Deuteronomy, actually the last two chapters, so chapter 33 is where we'll start, Deuteronomy chapter 33, and before I forget, you fathers out there on the lobby table, there are some goodies for you, feel free to grab one uh, if you are into, you know, eating snacks and that sort of thing. Uh, There are free snacks for you there, so make sure to grab one of those and I'll take whatever's left. (laughs) Servant leadership, you know. So Deuteronomy 33 is where we're going to start today. Um, Before we really begin the sermon, let's once again pray together. Father, indeed we are thankful for this day. Every day is a gift and Every good and perfect gift comes from you, and you do not change. How thankful we can be in just those simple truths. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it is powerful, it's sharper than any two edged sword. That it, by your spirit's working, your word is able to just do an amazing thing in our hearts, that it can take root and spring forth and bear fruit. Lord, we ask that today as we wind down this series, that we, as we land this plane, that You would um, bless the time that we spend in the last two chapters of Deuteronomy, that You would use me in spite of my fallen condition, both by nature and by choice, that You would use me to speak clearly to Your people, that Your Word would be clear to them, and that we would all grow in grace today. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week is going to be part one of a short two-part series on uh, Sabbath and rest and the Lord's Day, just so you know. Uh, That's what the next two sermons will be about. I look forward to this study. Um, I have a lot to learn about this, and so I really look forward to studying it out more this week and presenting it to you next Sunday. Um, If someone were to ask you, What's the Sabbath day? You know, what's your biblical answer that you have in your mind to answer that question? Um, What's the significance of the Lord's Day? Right? You need to have an answer in your mind for that. Um, Why do we even call this day the Lord's Day? Right? So, uh, we're going to do a two-week study on that and really emphasize rest through that and how important it is for us to get rest as people created in the image of God and as people who probably don't get a lot of rest. We'll talk about that starting next week, okay? I wanted to mention that. Deuteronomy 33 is where we'll begin, and I want to put in your mind um, transitions, specifically transitions of power. Um, Right now, of course, Moses is getting ready to pass away in this narrative, and Joshua is going to be taking the helm. And as I was thinking through that and thinking about an illustration from our daily life or our American life, you could more accurately say, I was thinking of the transfer of powers that takes place when a sitting president leaves and a new president comes in. I remember specifically watching the inauguration day of President Obama when George Bush was phasing out and Obama was coming in. On that day, they I remember on TV, they were coming out of a room in like the the people who were commentating, I don't even know if that's the right phrase, it wasn't sports, but uh, I guess they were commentating, they're, they're walking out and they're giving the play-by-play and saying that they just spent some time alone discussing things in a room to be a fly on the wall in that room, right? That's where all the conspiracy theories are, they come to light, is in those, those meetings. Uh, but we have in America these peaceful transition of powers, and it's a fascinating thing to behold. I don't think there's been any country that's had peaceful transition of powers, definitely not as many as we have had in the 200-plus years that we've been a nation, almost 250 years. Uh, It's an amazing thing, and when I think about all those conversations that take place behind closed doors for a sitting president to prepare the next president, and those things that we're not privy to, I think about how blessed we are to see in Scripture a transition of leadership from Moses to Joshua and how we're privy to so much. I mean, when you think about it, these last chapters of Deuteronomy, look at all the things we've seen. Maybe turn back a page or two, and look at the headings that are here. Like in the the heading of chapter 31, it says, Moses' last counsel. And remember, he gave specific counsel to Joshua. He gave specific counsel to the leaders. He gave specific counsel to the full congregation. We're privy to all those things that he said before he passed away. In chapter 32… He gives them their national anthem. He this the song of Yahweh through Moses is delivered to the people. And now in chapter 33, all that's left is for him to pronounce a blessing over the tribes of Israel. The last words that are spoken in Moses' life, the final counsel, the most important things he has to say before this transition in their leadership. It's all documented for us. How privileged are we for this? This is so cool. And we're going to see today parting blessings for Israel, but in between, or I guess on either side of those blessings for the tribes, we have Moses declaring aspects of God's good nature. And let's look at that together in the first five verses of Deuteronomy 33. This is the first bookend. Rex opened up the service by reading the last bookend for us, verses 26 to 29, but uh, in verses 1 through 5, this is the first bookend of declaring God's nature uh, about this this God of Israel. It says, Now this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the sons of Israel before his death. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Mount Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran, and He came from the midst of 10,000 holy ones. At His right hand there was flashing lightning for them. Indeed, He loves the people. All your holy ones are in your hand, and they followed in your steps. Everyone receives your words. Moses charged us with a law, a possession for the assembly of Jacob, and he was king in Jeshurun when the heads of the people were gathered, the tribes of Israel, together. Moses one thing we see in Moses' life is that Moses never sought attention for himself. In fact, he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. There was no human being in all of planet earth who was as humble as Moses. And what leader with this type of prominence in a nation and with this type of prominence in history can you think of who never drew attention to himself? In his final words, He could have claimed this law for himself. Look at verse 4. Moses charged us with a law. It could have said, Moses gave us his law or Moses gave us his Torah. Did you know that not one time does Moses say, this is my law? Never claims it. In the New Testament, we see it all the time, the law of Moses, the law of Moses. But Moses never said, this is my law. He was a humble man in his life, and we'll see he's a humble man in his death instead of putting attention on himself, he focused on giving God praise and preparing the next generation to follow God. That was Moses' aim. He didn't ask for a statue to be built, which today they would just tear down and uh, defame anyway because, you know, whatever. He didn't ask for a statue. He didn't ask for any special attention, but he kept the focus on God. And these words that I just read from Moses' mouth The blessing that Moses, the man of God, did you see that in verse 1? He's called the man of God. Very few people in Scripture are called man of God. This blessing is all focused on how good God is. It says that God came, verse 2, from the midst of 10,000 angels. That's what holy ones means in that context, 10,000 angels. And we sing that song about Jesus and how He could have called 10,000 angels, but instead... He went to the cross willingly, humbly for us. But God is in the midst of 10,000 angels. And then in verse 3, all His holy ones are in His hand. And in that context, He's talking about the Israelites. He came from the midst of 10,000 angels, and He pulled out the Israelites and placed them in His hand, His holy ones. And it says in verse 5, He was king in Jeshurun. And that's a word that I mentioned real briefly a couple chapters ago when it came up for the first time. It's not found very many places in Scripture. In fact, outside of Deuteronomy, I think the only other place is once in Isaiah. But that word is essentially an endearing nickname for Israel, Jeshurun. The word means to make straight. And so as Yahweh came from the midst of 10,000 angels and He pulled out the Israelites, called them His holy ones, and placed them in His hand, He made them. From a crooked and perverse people, he made them through his law. He's offered them to make them a straight up people, a correct people, through his goodness, his sovereign grace. Moses focused on Israel's privileged position as the only ones belonging to Yahweh. And we see that again at the end of the chapter. Look at verse 26 again with me, verses 26 to 29. This is the other bookend where Moses is emphasizing the nature of God and again, Israel's privileged position. It says, There is none like the God of Jeshurun who rides the heavens to your help and through the skies in His majesty, the eternal God, is a dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. You know those things that we're leaning on? We should sing that hymn sometime. It's been a while since we've sung that one. Leaning on the everlasting arms. And He drove out the enemy from before you and said, Destroy. So Israel dwells in security. The fountain of Jacob secluded in a land of grain and new wine. His heavens also drop down dew. Blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord? Who is the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty? So your enemies will cringe before you, and you will tread upon their high places. Focus on God and Israel's privileged position because of God's goodness. Grace is seen here, isn't it? That God would save them? I love that line. Verse 29, blessed are you. Who is like you? A people saved. How were they saved? They were given unmerited favor by the Lord. That's what grace is, its unmerited favor. If you earn the favor, it's no longer grace. But if you give someone favor outside of anything that person does, in fact, despite whatever that person does, you're showing that person grace. So when you demand performance before you show favor, you're not being a very gracious person, are you? To show grace means to to show favor, to reveal favor through love, through service, despite what that person has done. And that's certainly the case in Israel's life, isn't it? Who were they? This wandering people, wicked, perverse people. But God showed them grace, and grace is to be celebrated. Grace is to be celebrated. It's not prideful to say, we're blessed because we're saved. It's a great thing to proclaim. It's a great thing to sing. Grace is to be celebrated because God is the one who shows it. God is the good one. And we are not. Moses declares God's goodness in Israel's privileged position. And in between, verses 6 through 25... He gives blessings, declares blessings over the tribes of Israel. Now, I got to just warn you, I can see it in your eyes, stay awake, okay? These aren't the most exciting verses in the world. Totally not, okay? This is the part in your Bible reading where you go really fast, where you say, it's okay to skim. God, God says I can skim this part. Um, it's not stuff that really gets us excited. But we're going to look over it. We're going to touch on each one. There's going to be brief commentary. Hang in there. Hang in there, okay? You can do it. Um, it was a common practice in Israel for blessings to be given before death. We see it in Jacob's life, and we see it here in Moses' life. And these are essentially well wishes that Moses gives. He's not pronouncing anything that's binding. God hasn't given him power to speak the future into existence, but he instead, is he's pouring out his heart for his desire for these tribes. And what's interesting, as we look at these, every tribe failed to achieve what's in these verses to to greater and lesser extents. But they all failed in some way, shape, or form. So let's look at these together. The first one is verse 6, the tribe of Reuben. These are Jacob's sons who became tribes. Reuben is the first one listed, interestingly. It's a very general blessing. Look what it says. May Reuben live and not die, nor his men be few. Okay, way to go, Reuben. That's not bad. Uh, Basically saying that uh, this tribe, may that that tribe survive, may that tribe carry on, may that tribe have a strong lineage. And what's particularly interesting about the tribe of Reuben is along with the tribe of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they never entered the promised land. So, remember, in the context of Deuteronomy, they're on the precipice of entering the promised land. Reuben willingly, willfully decided with Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh to stay outside. They liked the land they were in before they went into the promised land. It's a very interesting read. There were some negotiations back and forth, said, hey, if we go to war, will you still help us? Yeah, sure. Okay, stay there. Keep your flocks there. And so they stayed. Maybe that was on Moses' mind, knowing that Reuben, that tribe, wasn't going to enter. May they live long, even though they're outside of the land. Interesting blessing. In verse 7, it's the blessing of Judah. Now, uh, some of you maybe are Bible nerdy like me, and you're going to count the tribes to make sure there are 12, and you're not going to get 12 when you count. But something to consider is within the tribe of Judah that we're looking at right now, Simeon was inside of Judah. If you were to look at a map, you would see the outline for the territory of uh, Judah, and then inside was Simeon. Simeon didn't really have its own border outside of the promised land. So perhaps Simeon is in mind as he's declaring this over Judah. It says, verse 7, "'This regarding Judah, hear, O Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him to his people. With his hands he contended for them.' and may you be a help against his adversaries. Very interestingly short blessing over Judah, considering how prominent the tribe of Judah is in biblical history. Judah just gets one verse. Uh, But the idea here is that in the future, as Judah continues on, that they would rely on God's help against their adversaries, that there's a particular encouragement to them to rely on Yahweh in their battles. Levi, verse 8, verses 8 through 11, rather. It says, "'Of Levi,' he said, "'Let your thummin and your Urim belong to your godly man, "'whom you proved at Massa, "'with whom you contended at the waters of Meribah, "'who said of his father and his mother, "'I did not consider them, "'and he did not acknowledge his brothers, "'nor did he regard his own sons, "'for they observed your word and kept your covenant.'" They shall teach your ordinances to Jacob and your law to Israel. They shall put incense before you the whole, or, and whole burnt offerings on your altar. O Lord, bless His substance and accept the work of His hands. Shatter the loins of those who rise up against Him and those who hate Him, so that they will not rise again. Now, the Levites, of course, were the priests. This is the priestly tribe, the ones who did not have a portion in the mapping out of the land. The Lord was their portion. Moses himself was a Levite. He was of the tribe of Levi. And they, of course, as priests, played a vital role in how the nation grew and developed in the years to come. And the idea that's expressed here by Moses is that they would be especially protected as those who possessed this special position from God, and that they would be those who lead well, that they would be especially blessed as they teach the ordinances and the law in Israel. Benjamin, the runt of the litter, the last of the twelve, he was born after Joseph. Benjamin gets one verse, verse 12. It says, "...of Benjamin," he said, "...may the beloved of the Lord dwell in security by Him who shields Him all the day And he dwells between his shoulders. Such an appropriate blessing for the baby of the family, isn't it? It's a parental vision here that Benjamin would accept the Lord's care, being held closely between the shoulders of Yahweh, figuratively speaking, of course, as he holds them, figuratively speaking, that they would be near to Yahweh to receive his parental care. The next blessing is for Joseph, verses 13 through 17. We won't read through all of those. Uh, but essentially, what's happening in that blessing is that Joseph would experience abundance, that there would be an abundance of crops, an abundance of flocks and herds, that Joseph would be blessed with strong power and wealth. Another thing to consider, by the way, when you're counting these tribes in this chapter, is that Ephraim and Manasseh were the two tribes that are included in Joseph. So, um, that'll throw the count off again, but You can tabulate all that later and tell me what you come up with, okay? Um, Verses 18 and 19, the blessings on Zebulun and Issachar. It says, of Zebulun, he said, rejoice, Zebulun, in your going forth, and Issachar in your tents. They will call peoples to the mountain. There they will offer righteous sacrifices, for they will draw out the abundance of the seas and the hidden treasures of the sand. This is a call for them to find joy in God no matter where they are. There's a nomadic picture that's painted here, going forth, coming out as they're traveling around in tents. No matter where they are, may they find their joy in God, and may they lead others well as they do it. Zebulun and Issachar, baby names, anybody? Zebulun, Issachar? Check it out. Gad is next, Gad, verses 20 and 21. Of Gad, he said, blessed is the one who enlarges Gad. He lies down as a lion and tears the arm, also the crown of the head. Then he provided the first part for himself, for there the ruler's portion was reserved, and he came with the leaders of the people. He executed the justice of the Lord and his ordinances with Israel. He says, blessed is the one who enlarges Gad. Well, who's that? The Lord Himself, He's the one who grows, He's the one who gives the increase, He's the one who causes things to develop in a positive way. Blessed be God. And He's focusing here in His blessing on continued growth. And of course, they're outside of the land. Remember Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh? That they would remain strong and protected and growing even though they're outside of the land. Dan No one in here is named Dan, so no one looked up. Dan, verse 22. Dan is a lion's whelp that leaps from Bashan. There you go, Dan. Uh, (laughs) Naphtali, verse 23. Oh, Naphtali, satisfied with favor and full of the blessing of the Lord, take possession of the sea and the south. A specific charge to accomplish this specific task, take possession of the sea and the south, and they were to do it based on God's blessing, based on God leading them, God, again, protecting them, God, sustaining them. Naphtali had a specific mission. And then finally, Asher, verses 24 and 25. "'More blessed than sons is Asher. May he be favored by his brothers, and may he dip his foot in oil.'" Your locks will be iron and bronze, and according to your days, so will your leisurely walk be. What a blessing that is, that they would be more blessed than sons, that they would be favored by the brothers, kind of like especially favored, it seems like, and that they would have strength with the iron and the bronze, and that they would have leisurely walks all their days. Now, that is a great blessing over somebody. That's a good one to copy down and to say to someone else. Maybe not the part about locks. You could change that illustration to something else uh, if that person doesn't have you know, uh, locks in their life. But uh, it's a great blessing to pronounce over them for abundance and security. And a great cross-reference for this is Proverbs 10.22. When it comes to riches and abundance and security, Proverbs 10.22, and it says this, it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. And He adds no sorrow to it. It's a blessing to be favored, to be given abundance and security and happiness, things that we have lots of. Uh, they might be slipping away a little bit each passing year, depending on how, where this country goes. But traditionally, historically, we've been given many of these things, and we can rejoice because we know that, again, every good gift comes from who? God above, right? And so, it's a, it's a blessing. Uh, Asher was given really sweet encouragement there from Moses. Okay, now that we've kind of flown through those, I just want to take a moment to talk about how we understand blessings. I mentioned how this was a cultural practice, how Jacob blessed his sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, and he pronounced encouragement and hope over uh, his sons. Just because it was a cultural practice then, that doesn't mean we can't learn from it today. It doesn't mean that it has no relevance or any application for us today. And I want us to keep our finger here but turn to John 16. Uh, John, the fourth book of the New Testament, John 16, and the last verses of that chapter. We want to see here how Jesus spoke words of hope over others. And that's how I'm going to define imparting blessings, by the way, speaking words of hope over others. It's a good good thing to do, speaking words of hope over others. Let's see what Jesus did. This is, of course, during the Upper Room Discourse, John 16, we're going to start at verse 29. Um, The the disciples are all gathered with Jesus. He's giving His parting words to His disciples before His death. He goes through and talks about the Holy Spirit who is coming and how He must return to the Father. And He gives them some amazing teaching. Look at the disciples' reaction in verse 29. After all these these things Jesus taught them, they said, Now you are speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this, we believe that you came from God. Amazing teaching in these chapters. Those are good chapters to slow down and study. And now look what Jesus says, and does this sound like speaking words of hope over someone else? I think it does. Verse 31, "'Jesus answered them, "'Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet, I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace.'" In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. You see that unlike Moses, Jesus draws attention to Himself, doesn't He? Moses didn't talk about Himself and those blessings, because Moses is not our source of encouragement. Moses is not our source of protection, but Jesus is. He's our source for courage in this world. He's our source of hope in this world. And look what Jesus said in verse 33 again. Though you're going to experience tribulation, take courage and look to me. I have overcome the world, Jesus is saying. And I want us to look at 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter, one of the disciples who was there in that room. 1 Peter chapter 3 toward the back of your New Testament. If you hit Revelation, you've gone too far. 1 Peter chapter 3. Look what Peter says about speaking words of hope over others. Just as Jesus imparted a blessing through His words, so we can do that to one another. We can practice 1 Peter 3, starting at verse 8. To sum up, he says, so if you want cliff notes, here you go. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, "...kind-hearted and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult," but look at this, "...but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days..." must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. As Christians, as the church, we are called, specifically, verse 9 again, to give a blessing. And do you know what the Greek word is, you could really impress me. Do you know what the Greek word is for blessing there, to give a blessing? It's the noun eulogos, where we get the word eulogy. Have you noticed that we wait till someone dies before we give a eulogy? How messed up is that? That that person can't hear it. That person's in a better place. We're saying all these good things, and it has no effect. Instead, Peter says, give a living eulogy now. As people are living, give their eulogy to them. Give a blessing to them. Speak words of hope over them. Wouldn't that be a better practice? Instead of waiting till they die and then, you know, then talking about how much you love them. How about speaking blessings now? That's a good practice. And we see, again, back in Deuteronomy, as Moses was getting ready to pass away, he spoke words of hope over these tribes. He spoke a blessing over Uh, all of Israel. We need to think about how we care for and how we speak to those we influence. A lot of times we we just kind of get into a mode of just doing one thing and not thinking through it. How do you speak to people? The people you see often, multiple times a week. The people you live with. How do you speak to them? How do you care for them? Are you giving blessings? It's a good thing to do. It's a good thing. All right, um, we're going to look at the final chapter of Deuteronomy, the final moments of Moses' life. And I want to read to you, to set up the chapter, I want to read to you from Daniel Block's commentary one last time, page 805 in his Deuteronomy commentary. Look how far we've come, everybody. It's great. For 33 chapters, readers have been listening in on a sacred event. As Israel's pastor has been preparing his congregation for life in the promised land, the gospel according to Moses has been rich in grace, the gift of salvation, free and undeserved, the gift of covenant, personal and intimate, the gift of revelation, profound and unparalleled, the gift of providence, patient and loving, and the gift of a home, over the Jordan, about to be delivered into their hands. Oh, it's good. It's good. Here it is. We're going to read it all in one shot. Chapter 34, verses 1 through 12. Now Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, and all Naphtali. And the land of Ephraim and Manasseh and all the land of Judah as far as the western sea and the Negev and the plain and the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zor. Then, verse 4, the Lord said to him, this is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no man knows his burial place to this day. Although Moses was 120 years old when he died, his eye was not dim, nor his vigor abated. So the sons of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, and the sons of Israel listened to him as, uh, and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Since that time, no prophet has risen in, in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, For all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants, and all his land, and for all the mighty power, and for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. The last words of Deuteronomy. Wow. Um, Moses got to see the land, it says. Uh, He couldn't enter it. We talked about this last week. He, He sinned. He didn't trust God. He made God's name profane uh, when he struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock. And his punishment was to not enter into the promised land. So was seeing the land cruel? He couldn't go. But God took him up and said, here it is. Isn't it awesome? Now you're dead. (laughs) I don't think it was cruel at all. I think... Moses received a supernatural vision, because when you look at a map and you see where Mount Nebo is, you can't see all the land from Mount Nebo. You can see parts of it, but it says that he was able to to see the land. I think, in fact, perhaps God gave him a vision of perfect life in the land that never came about, that he had a supernatural vision of God's faithfulness to fulfill the promise, the covenant, and what a beautiful sight that must have been. Where's he been for the last four decades? He's been wandering around eating manna, drinking water from rocks. And then he sees this, a land flowing with milk and honey. What a beautiful vision that must have been. What joy, earthly, humanly joy he must have felt in his last moments before he took that final breath. I think it's pretty amazing. God gave him an amazing vision of the land. And then... He died in the land of Moab, it says. Verse 5, He died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. And this is a really interesting topic, the death of Moses, the burial of Moses. This is a topic that doesn't have a lot of answers. It has a lot of interesting things said about it in Scripture with just no follow-up, which, you know, gets us all intrigued uh, but then we just have to stop with our entry, because we can't really get um, resolution to some of our, our curious thoughts. Like in verse 6, who buried Moses? God did. The only, this is the only person that's ever happened to, where God buried him. You've got Enoch that phew, was just taken up, or Elijah just taken up. Moses died. God didn't take him up. He buried him. Now, that's a weird thing, isn't it? that God did that, that it wasn't the people of Israel that gave him a a grave, but God Himself picked out His grave? Interesting. And it's in a foreign land. Doesn't this really epitomize the humility of Moses, that he wasn't taken up in a glory cloud, that he wasn't lifted up above all the people? See ya, I'm being raptured, bye. No, not Moses. He's buried in Moab. So humble that they didn't even know for sure where he was buried. His grave is just somewhere. Now, they know that it's opposite of Beth Peor. That you know, kind of narrows it down, but not really. A lot of space over there. We don't know where Moses' bones are, but they're out there somewhere. Humility in his life and in his death. In Jude 9, you don't have to turn there. You can just write this down. It's, Jude is one chapter, so when I say Jude 9, that means verse 9. In Jude 9, it says this about Moses' body. Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Now, the second half of that verse, I've, I've preached through Jude. You can go onto our website and click on sermons and find our Jude series so you can hear all that. The first part is interesting. Michael, the archangel, disputed with the devil about the body of Moses? What on earth? That's all we got in the whole Bible about that event. (laughs) That's it. Now, that's curious, isn't it? Now, the fact that it says the body of Moses implies that it's a dead body, and there it is. Uh, We don't know what to make of that. Intrigue. Thought I'd show it to you anyway just to irritate you. So, Jude's account is interesting. We just don't know much. So we should fall back on what has become like one of my top three favorite verses since going through this series, Deuteronomy 29.29. Deuteronomy 29.29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. What does that mean? We stop where Scripture stops. God knows all things. He's given us just a portion, a tiny portion of His knowledge. That's what we focus on, and we stop there and let all the secret things belong to God, okay? We know this. Moses was alone with God at his death and at his burial. What happens after that? We just don't have the details. I love verse 7 that makes note of this, that this didn't have to be said necessarily, but here it is in Scripture for whoever God called to finish off the book of Deuteronomy. He made mention of, even though Moses was 120, He had perfect vision, 20-20 eyesight, and he still had vigor. He had his physical nature all in check, and he was just full of energy. Now, is that a great prayer or is that a great prayer? To ask the Lord that as you get older, that you would maintain good health and lots of energy to serve Him. God can supernaturally cause you to be strong till you die. If he, choo- if he chooses, that's His prerogative. He can do that. He can cause you to be full of just great energy and to have a sharp mind. Pray to, pray for that. And if He says no, He says no. It's, it's God's business. But is that desire on your heart? It should be. And you should pray for that, that God would keep you strong till the end. You want to be standing up straight, going strong across the finish line. Don't be one of those, one of those guys who crawls. Okay, I mean, good for them, they finished, but go strong, finish strong, okay? His sight and his vigor were supernaturally sustained. Amazing. And it says that all Israel wept for Moses, in verse 8, for 30 days. That was their custom. They would take a month, and they would pray, or they would weep, for the one who died. We see it in uh, several places in Scripture. They did it for Jacob. They did it for Aaron in Scripture. They do it again for Samuel. They do it for King Josiah in Scripture. When these men whom they loved, the ones who served Israel well, when they passed away, they didn't rejoice that they were in a better place, but they wept. They wept. That's because they went to Abraham's bosom. Jesus gave us insight to this in Luke 16. They went to Abraham's bosom. They went to hang out with Abraham. They didn't go hang out with Jesus. They hung out with Abraham. Jesus had to come and die that people would be able to go to heaven. And so they went to the grave. They went to Sheol, scripture says. That's where the Old Testament saints went. But when we die in Christ, we get to go into the very presence of God. And so our funerals don't need to be a place of weeping and mourning. We don't need to have 30 days of weeping. We can say, Praise the Lord. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with him. And that's one of the many, many, many advantages we have in the new covenant. And then finally, we see just a a note about Joshua leading in the land. Joshua was given the spirit of wisdom, and it seems to indicate here he had that spirit of wisdom because Moses laid his hands on him. And it says that the sons of Israel followed Joshua. They obeyed his leadership. Um, but then it jumps right, right into making sure before you start thinking too much of Joshua, he was no Moses. It says that there was no one like Moses from all that time. Verse 10, no prophet has risen in all Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Moses was not a man to be idolized, of course. No man is. But he was certainly one to be recognized because of the way God used him. His legacy is one to be recognized and honored because of the way the Lord used him. And perhaps the most amazing, profound aspect of Moses' legacy that we do well to remember today is how his life served to point us to another Deliverer, a capital D Deliverer. How Moses was used to foreshadow another capital P Prophet, If you can remember, all the way back in Deuteronomy 18, I know it's been a while, but Deuteronomy 18, Moses says, there will be another prophet like me among the countrymen who will rise up, and it's to him you should listen. That prophet wasn't Joshua. It says right here, Joshua was not like Moses. It wasn't Joshua. It's talking about Jesus, the Messiah who was to come, who was to fulfill the role of prophet, priest and king, a different deliverer for a different people. Jesus came, and just as Moses performed signs and wonders, look what it says in verse 11, he performed signs and wonders. Just as there was mighty power in Moses, verse 12, there was mighty power and great terror with which Moses performed. Just as Moses was a shepherd of the people, so Jesus came performing great signs and wonders, full of power, was a shepherd, the chief shepherd, for a new people. Moses serves as a foreshadowing of the true substance, which is Christ. Because Moses, as the mediator of the Old Covenant, couldn't do what the mediator of the New Covenant did. Moses couldn't give his life as an atonement for sin. Did we sing that this morning? Opened his life, that all, or opened the floodgates that all may go in, something like that. It's in a hymn somewhere. It's a good song. Yielded as his life an atonement for sin. Moses couldn't do that. He was a mediator of an old covenant. That's why he's just the foreshadowing of the mediator of a new covenant who could give his life, who could breathe his last in our place. Not just breathe his last and die like every other man does, but breathe his last to be made dead in the flesh, but alive in the spirit taking on the full weight and penalty of all our sin. Moses couldn't do that, but he was a type of the one who could. That just as these Israelites were rescued, the church has been rescued. We've been transferred from one domain to another, haven't we? We've been called a people even though we were once not a people, haven't we? And we find our rest, our hope, and true abundance of blessings in the only capital D Deliverer, the only capital P prophet, Jesus Christ. And that's the book of Deuteronomy. What do you think? Ready to read it again? (laughs) Love that book. Love it. Like I said, the next two weeks, we will uh, be looking at rest, Sabbath, Lord's Day. Sorting all that stuff out. That'll be fun. Okay? Let's pray. God, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your faithfulness and the way you've displayed yourself and made yourself known through the ages, that you, the God of Moses, are the same as we call you God now, too. Thank you that you've allowed us to participate in the gospel, that you've called us by your name and that You've made us a people. Give us concern for holiness, give us concern for reverence, that as we think back through the lessons, the many lessons we've learned in Deuteronomy, that they would have real effect on our lives as we live for You. Let us not just be puffed up, big eggheads walking around full of knowledge, but cause us to have our hearts developed, that our hearts would grow, and that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus, and that we would love and serve others as he has uh, loved and served us. Thank you so much, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.